Welcome to 28 Tech, where each week we take a look at the impact innovation, gadgets, mobile, and generally all things tech are having in various industries and parts of the world. I'm Angelina Draper, and this week we're looking at developing countries and markets. After this week's Tech News Roundup, I'll be talking to Peter Ferberg, the CEO of Norwegian telecommunications company Telenor, one of the two telcos bringing voice and internet connectivity to the people of Myanmar. Probably the first time in telecom history that we are launching a mobile operation and internet access is equally important to voice access. Uh, and that is because it does give uh, access to big markets, it gives access to information and uh, knowledge, uh, which I think is definitely going to have a positive impact on the society. And later on, Alistair Hill from London-based on-device research joins me on the line from South Africa to talk about the impact of mobile technology in Africa. When we first started uh, researching the mobile internet in Africa, it was around 90% uh, male, 10% female. This is now broadened out to around 70-30, and with every day that goes past, more women are um, having access to it. But first, a look at some of the most interesting tech stories that made news this week. Amazon surprised everyone this week by launching a new device called Echo. It looks like a speaker and can, in fact, play back music. But its main feature is a voice-activated personal assistant that can pick up users' questions and commands from anywhere in the room. The device listens out for its name, Alexa, to be called out, which activates it. The name can be personalized, and for now, users can ask things like the weather forecast or quiz Alexa on general facts. For this, she relies on Wikipedia to provide answers. Echo will, however, also compile to-do and shopping lists for users as they call out items or give the command to add this to the list. As this is coming from Amazon, expectations are that Echo will also be able to place orders for you in the near future. Google wants Hindi speakers to find more online content in their own language. The company announced this week an alliance with the Indian government and local media content providers called ILIA, or Indian Language Internet Alliance. A new website, hindiweb.com, was also unveiled where users can find content relating to education, fashion, music, links to blogs and much more. The demand for non-English content in India is increasing as a growing number of the country's 1.2 billion people now have access to the internet, mostly thanks to cheap smartphones and the government's push to digitize the nation. Google's Indian-born head of search, Amit Singhal, has more. India has 200 million English speakers and almost all of them are online today. We want to bring the goodness of the internet and search to the rest of the users to the next billion people. These are people like my mother who can understand English but are not comfortable in it. It's not their language of choice. My mom can read an article in English but she'd rather read the same article in Hindi. My mom can type in English but she'd rather type in Hindi and she would rather speak in Hindi. So it's people like my mom, it's users like my mom who I would like to bring everything that I have done in my life at their fingertips. A 23-year-old British university graduate won this year's Dyson Award for his inexpensive inflatable incubator. 
The winning project is called MOM and tackles the problem of high cost and difficulty of transporting incubators to remote areas of the world where infant deaths are the most common. The collapsible device is backed by batteries in case of power outage and is heated using ceramic heating elements. It also includes a screen showing current temperature and the humidity, which can be customized. An alarm sounds if the desired temperature changes and for babies that suffer from jaundice, there's even a phototherapy unit. The award is given yearly to young designers who tackle serious problems and is sponsored by the James Dyson Foundation. A Chinese dating app has secured $30 million in venture capital. What makes the app called Blued particularly interesting is that it is for gay men and reports 15 million active users. By comparison, the popular gay dating app Grindr has only 6 million users. According to the Wall Street Journal, dating apps are proving to be very lucrative, with some apps like Tinder expected to pass a $1 billion valuation. Blued is now reportedly valued at $300 million. Homosexuality was illegal in China until as recently as 1997 and is still generally frowned upon. The co-founder and partner of DCM Ventures that invested in the app, David Chow, says the success of the app is down to the private nature of phones. The Walt Disney Company announced a partnership with Google that allows people who bought Disney, Pixar or Marvel movies to stream them through Google's Android devices, regardless of the platform they were purchased on, including iTunes. The Disney Movies Anywhere initiative was launched in February but was limited to Apple devices. According to Disney's chief technology officer, Jamie Voris, the biggest benefit will be to consumers who, for example, own Android phones as well as iPads. He says, you used to buy a shiny plastic disc and know it would work anywhere. Now it will again. According to the United Nations Agency specializing in information and communication technologies, known as the ITU, by the end of this year, there will be 3 billion Internet users worldwide. Two-thirds of them will come from the developing world, and in these countries, mobile internet penetration will reach 84%. That's four times higher than in developed countries, and in no small part due to the fact countries where traditional phone lines and broadband internet have not already been installed are now bypassing them. One example of a country leapfrogging into mobile, and with it mobile internet connectivity, is Myanmar. With a population of almost 60 million people, the country was for a long time considered one of the least connected on the planet. But then, in 2013, the government awarded Qatar's Uredu and Norway's Telenor Group 15-year telecommunication licenses with the aim of changing that. Telenor recently began rolling out its 2G and 3G service across the country. I caught up with the company's Myanmar CEO, Peter Furberg, and asked him what he thought was the greatest impact connectivity would bring Myanmar's people. I, I think the impact is, uh, is both with respect to, to offering voice, uh, very basic services, voice services as well as internet services. Uh, and the voice services are important for people to actually stay in touch with uh, loved ones, to do business, uh, yeah, uh, what, what we have done uh, over a very long time uh, when it comes to mobile business. And then Internet, of course, this is probably the first time in telecom history that we are launching a mobile operation, and Internet access is equally important to voice access. Uh, and that is because it does give uh, access to big markets. It gives access to information and uh, knowledge, uh, which I think is definitely going to have a positive impact on the society. 
from the data that you've seen so far, you, you've mentioned two important factors here, information and knowledge. How are people responding to this? Has there been a pent-up curiosity and, and people are just sort of stumbling onto this? Or are they, have they got very clear ideas about what they're looking for and what they have access to? I think it's a little bit difficult at this point in time to make two general uh, statements about that because we have launched now only in Mandalay, uh, Nepido and in Jiangong, which are the three biggest cities in the country. So the population in those cities are not necessarily representing the market that we are here to really serve, which is a mass market uh, with low income and so far not been connected. Uh, I would say that most of the customers that we are connecting today are customers that have had access to both voice services as well as internet services uh, even before we launched. So, And they are, re- what I would say, relatively tech-savvy. Uh, of course, they're using Facebook in Myanmar as they do in other parts of the world, and they're using messaging services. Uh, particularly popular in Myanmar is Viber, and they use it both for messaging and also for internet calls uh, to friends and family abroad. Uh, And then, of course, content services will continue to grow. But the biggest challenge for Myanmar is that since they haven't been um, connected to the Internet for a very long time, uh, there's a very limited local content on the Internet. Um, And uh, that's something that uh, needs to be developed because, in general, the literacy rate is quite high in Myanmar. Um, but the content is actually mainly available today in English or other languages and not in the local language. And has the script had played an impact? The actual, the, the, the Myanmar, the Burmese script had, has that caused some problems with getting information online? Well, there are two two different technical languages uh, to actually create the Myanmar text and that is something called Unicode, which is the most used one internationally, and then also a local one, which is called Soji. And because a lot of local content has been created in what's not normal internationally, that does create some problems uh, because we have, actually have to offer people handsets and web pages, etc., which can read both of those uh, languages. So I think it is important for the country also to agree on what which standard would they like to follow uh, and then see more and more content uh, partners and, and web pages uh, to actually follow that standard that they hopefully then agree on. What are some of the main reasons why people in Myanmar are consuming technology at the moment? Would you say, is it for entertainment, for productivity, for education, for social empowerment? Give me some examples. You said Facebook and Viber. So, yes, communicating, uh, chatting if you want. What are some of the other reasons? Again, I think it's difficult to to generalize because uh, people in Yangon and in Mandalay and Epido are, of course, using Internet access and voice access for business purposes, uh, but uh, also for the mass market and the normal uh, normal person in, in, in Myanmar. Uh, it is, as you mentioned, it's Facebook and Viber and these kind of entertainment services that, of course, are also extremely important. Um, but it, it, it's very difficult to generalize. But Myanmar, I don't think Myanmar will, will be any different from any other country in the world when it comes to why people are using Internet. And what are some of the things that you're expecting to see from services like the ones that you've launched, for example? What do you expect in the short term? And perhaps if, you can, if you've got any ideas of a long term um, changes in Myanmar? 
for Telenor, our focus is primarily to give access, uh, basic access to voice and internet services uh, in the beginning. Uh, and we believe that uh, that's what people need. Uh, on top of this internet access and voice access, there will be a lot of innovation happening by content partners and other people in the local market. And also content owners will use this platform to spread their knowledge and competence or, or information to the people of Myanmar. So our job is actually to build as fast as possible and spread out the network and make sure that we have good and affordable uh, products. Uh, and then we will focus a lot on distributing this as widely as we can to make sure everyone in this country will get access to this. Now, I know, obviously, you can't tell me, you can't speak for the government, but in your experience, and you live there and in your time there, would you say that the government is embracing technology as a way of improving the people's lives? Or is this something that they're leaving up to private individuals and enterprises and saying, we're giving you the tools, now you just get on with it? Difficult for me to talk about, as you said, on behalf of the government. But the the reason they pushed this telecom reform, where, which is actually twofold. One, they are uh, opening up for two new entrants to the market through a very well-structured and transparent bidding process, uh, which was completed uh, last year and with the license award to ourselves and Oradu in February. And then the second thing is they are deregulating the state-owned uh, operator, uh, and uh, they've entered into a partnership with a Japanese partner to also make them more dynamic and more uh, sort of a normal player in the market. These things are, they're doing to ensure that there is sufficient uh, growth in terms of services offered and also to bring down the prices by facilitating competition. So I think that is a good and, and smart move. The government also knows that... Um, Telecom access or internet and voice access through mobile is probably the fastest way of actually significantly improving uh, the way that people can do business and also live their lives in Myanmar compared to many of the other big uh, challenges they have in terms of improving infrastructure. So I, I think they are thinking the right and doing the right things with respect to actually bringing technology to the people of Myanmar, uh, make sure that it's affordable good quality and happening quickly. Peter, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. My next guest is Alistair Hill. He's the CEO and co-founder of the mobile research company called On Device Research. So far, they've surveyed 20 million people across 75 countries. Although they also work with consumer brands, the London-based company is heavily involved in researching developing markets. Their latest report looked at mobile internet use in Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa. Here they found that in each of these countries, over 60% of people said mobile internet made a great improvement to their lives. By comparison, in the UK, the rate was only 41%. I caught up with Alistair by phone from Cape Town, where he was speaking at this year's Market Research Mobile World Conference, and asked him why people in these countries thought mobile technology improved their lives so much. Yeah, so the uh, biggest difference between the way the mobile internet is affecting consumers in Africa compared to the UK is it's allowing uh, information to be far more accessible to consumers than was um, previously available. And so an example of that is things like um, education, healthcare information, um, being able to search for and find jobs, being able to have access to um, uh, their finances much better. And it's this sort of information that's genuinely improving the lives of consumers. Whereas in developed countries, in comparison to the UK, for example, 
And all of that information was actually available previously. And so having it available on your phone in the UK is an incremental benefit, whereas having it available to you in Africa is a huge step change. Who would you say are the early adapters of tech in Africa? Aside from the obvious um, people who perhaps were uh, educated abroad, have come back and so forth, who is there a demographic that you are seeing emerge as the, the early adapters? Yeah, so the profile of the consumers um, that are first adopting this is younger males. However, over time, this is actually broadening out to um, older demographics and to more females. When we first started uh, researching the mobile internet in Africa, it was around 90% male, 10% female. This is now broadened out to around 70-30, and with every day that goes past, more women are um, having access to it. However, it is still um, the smaller um, proportion of the market compared compared to the male. Do you think that technology is something that can increase the divide between male and female? You say that that gap is closing, but if parents, for example, of a family where there isn't much money around have to choose which children to send to school, they often tend to, in developing countries, and um, they often do tend to send the boys rather than the girls. Do you see that this is happening also with technology being put in the hands of boys rather than girls? So this is a, a huge problem to the development of each country. Um, I think the more women that have access to um, technology and to information, and actually I think the, the faster um, the economies will develop. Uh, it has a huge impact on that, and it is really worrying. If you look into the Indian market, for example, um, the proportion of females using the mobile internet is, is tiny, 8%, 9%, something like that. Um, and that's having a real effect there. Um, uh, why it is... Um, in Africa, is probably twofold. Um, one, there is um, a natural tendency for um, young males to be faster adopters of technology. But secondly, um, it's about the content that's out there. And so a lot of the content that's pulling people in is um, very focused on, on male so sports information, for example, is a, uh, a very um, obvious um, uh, type of information that really pulls people to use the mobile internet. But what we've started to see is that messaging applications actually skew more towards females. And this is the sort of thing that's actually driving women to use the mobile internet. So, for example, something like WhatsApp. Um, it provides far um, uh, more affordable way to frequently message people. And that's actually something which um, uh, is drawing in um, females. When we've divided the data by um, males and females and looked into the drivers that are actually pulling um, those women into it, it's really those um, messaging applications which is having that um, big effect. And that's going to have a knock-on effect on all services that people can use on, on their phone. You've done work in, uh, your company's done work in various countries. Focusing on Africa, um, but feel free to, to bring in examples of other um, countries if you wish, but what would you say are some of the main differences in the way that technology is being adapted in each country. Um, too often, African countries are all put under the same blanket, but in fact, they're very de- varied and the, the cultural differences are, are quite uh, important. Yes, yeah, so um, Africa is actually um, very advanced in terms of um, mobile technology. The um, conference that I'm at at the moment um, in Cape Town is really highlighting that different types of technology than we're using in the West. Quite often on feature phones, it's more simple. 
um, technology, but it's actually being adopted in um, far higher proportions. And so the thing which is exciting about that is that mobile is the only um, channel, uh, digital channel in Africa. There is no PC. Uh, and so as a result of that, more creative solutions are, are coming out. If you just look into Kenya, um, the excitement in Kenya around uh, mobile services is really you know, staggering. Um, and actually even more so compared to any other African uh, country as well. It's a bit of an anomaly in that way. Um, but uh, from the data that we've seen, we see far higher, far higher adoption um, in Kenya of um, mobile payment services, mobile job services, um, all of these sorts of utilities that people are using on their phones, even compared to the other uh, countries in, in, in Africa. Um, uh, Nigeria is really starting to um, uh, get ahead of steam, uh, and, um, uh, and as is uh, South Africa as well. When we compare that to other um, African countries, for example, we did a study in uh, Ethiopia recently, um, it's actually a lot less developed in terms of mobile technology, um, and uh, we're seeing uh, differences between uh, all the different markets in Africa with, uh, but with Kenya and Nigeria and South Africa really leading the way. And is mobile technology changing some aspects of African culture, the way people communicate, the way people interact? Or, as in some other countries, is the local culture just being brought into the, the new channel, the new tools? So... Uh, working practices and the way in which people are doing things are actually genuinely changing because of uh, the mobile internet. So uh, we've seen far better accessibility to um, uh, transparency uh, around um, money, uh, around um, work information, and around uh, supply chains as well. So previously, everything was done via word of mouth and with um, uh, middlemen uh, taking a cut or uh, um, adapting the information that they're passing to other people. Whereas uh, with mobile, there's far more transparency around that. So it gives far more accessibility to that information. For example, the jobs information I was talking about, for example, uh, prices um, for, for goods and services um, that are being traded. Um, and also uh, with the, uh, the money that people are getting from uh, their employers because it's uh, being digitized uh, in terms of mobile payments and things like that. And that's uh, on the um, uh, utility side, whereas on the entertainment side, um, it's uh, making people a lot happier. They're <laughs> being able to uh, have much better access to um, music, which is a huge driver in Africa. It's one of the most popular things um, that people are using their phones for. Um, and uh, there's all sorts of different ways in which music is being sold and is being uh, distributed uh, as a result of, of mobile device, uh, as well as other types of content. I've mentioned sports content beforehand. It's a, uh, a football-mad continent in, in Africa. And uh, the um, accessibility of information um, about, about that on the, on the mobile internet is uh, really changing um, uh, consumers' lives and, and making them more entertained. Fantastic. And just one last question briefly. Um, has there been anything um, that has surprised you in all the research that you've done in Africa? I said the whole thing is surprising just um, how fast it's being adopted and how um, uh, exciting uh, it is and how, how it's genuinely changing people's lives. I think the thing which is the, um, the most exciting thing about it is the way that it's genuinely improving people's lives in terms of accessibility of information and making people feel much more connected to the world.
And for the last section now of the show, I'm joined by Darcy Christ. He is a digital generalist and lecturer at the University of Hong Kong School of Journalism. Welcome, Darcy. Hi. So this episode has been about developing countries and how technology is being used in developing countries. You have a few examples that were really interesting and that were particularly being applied in Africa. Tell mm. me a little bit more about them. Well, the one that I'm most familiar with is Ushahidi, um, which was developed in 2007 in Kenya um, when their presidential elections were quite contentious. Uh, so the, the software developers started to use it to map, crowdsource, um, various different violent uh, events that were happening around the election. Uh, and so they would get people to report um, via their cell phones, um, SMS, send messages into a central server, and then plot those on a map. So and this has been used since then in other parts of the world as well. Yeah, I mean, it's been used in all sorts of different places, including in New York to uh, help uh, uh, clean up after the big snow um, a year and a half ago. Okay, so, so this is this is the power of collecting data, collecting information, and in, is it being input manually? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the the notion of crowdsourcing is that individuals are are out there, citizen journalists, as they like to call them, are seeing various events and reporting on it. Um, but it's a it's a sort of low tech solution in that uh, what Ushahidi was enabling was not like a web app or something like that, but the ability to send in a text message and have that be plotted on uh, an internet website. And of course, um, in so Africa, it's a many sharing. People, many sorry. people still have feature phones, so the SMS is still <clears throat> plays quite an important role. Yeah, uh, and there there is extensions to the Ushahidi, so you could make it work with uh, data. Um, but it, its main purpose when they developed it was with the idea that not everyone had, you know, um, a smartphone um, or Twitter or something like that. And interesting to note, Twitter, by the way, was primarily developed to work on SMS, too. And in a lot of the cases where they talk about Twitter being used, um, like in the Arab Spring, it was actually being used over SMS, not over data, because um, there were lots of problems with the network. Um, so it's important that this was a low-tech solution, but a way of broadcasting um, to the rest of the world. Okay, interesting. And from Ushahidi, then, there was another development. Yeah, the same group continues to uh, roll out products. Uh, they're non-profit, so they're, they're focused on this kind of thing. And one of the ones I've also looked at is called BRIC, B-R-C-K. And it's basically a, a very rugged, um, hardcore uh, wireless router. Um, with the ability to uh, power itself for a long time, so it's a giant battery, literally looks like a brick, and it can be uh, uh, can also connect to um, you know a cellular data network, but create a Wi-Fi uh, network to enable a bunch of people to get online. Um, and the idea is that you can take this well this brick with mm. you um, out in the terrain or in, in Africa's case into villages and places that are not connected and be able to connect even without electricity, which is obviously one of the biggest um, problems with for technology. Yeah, I, I think so. And it also, I mean, obviously as a battery, you have to charge it. Um, and I think you can connect it to solar power and other means. Um, but the big thing is, is that unlike the sensitive routers that you would buy for a normal network here in the city, um, this thing is uh, can handle 
dust and dirt and uh, being dropped. <laughs> yeah, the name brick uh, yeah. does imply quite a lot uh, mm. in terms of it being very rugged. So um, interesting workarounds to get um, a type of connectivity and a type of technology that we all take for granted, just being able to plug in and we complain that our phones, uh, the batteries don't last long, but uh, we're never too far away from a socket. Um, these are obviously problems that are being solved with people who understand them very well from, from living in this place. From mm -hmm. uh, what I've been able to see reading up, um, the developers are all based in Africa, correct? And yeah. this is being this is a product that was developed and created in Nairobi. Right. That's that's what I understand as well. Um, and so, you know, it fits with that model and those situations, but it was also used in Haiti to help with the disaster release there, relief there after the earthquake. And, uh, uh, and I think there's other people, I even know one developer here in Hong Kong who's trying to use it with, a, um, with the uh, Pak Fulam community just for better communication. So I think it has a lot of potential, and I like their, obviously their philosophy and their approach um, developing this technology. Darcy, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Well, that's it for another episode of 28 Tech. Remember, if you'd like to catch this episode or any of our previous ones, go to RTHK's website. You can also listen via podcast. If you want to email me, do so by writing to 28tech at rthk.hk. Have a great week.